What book is that? Happy asked, right before I pulled Jimena's gift out of my book bag. It's Jimena's grandmother's copy of the Negro Motorist Green Book, I said. It was like a special kind of Yellow Pages, except this one was to help black people travel safely through the U.S. during Jim Crow. Abuelita Caridad has one of the most recent editions from the 60s. They stopped publishing a few years after the Civil Rights Act was passed. Okay, thank you for the PBS special. Hi, I'm Maritza Mulit. I'm Maiko Mulit. Welcome to the One of the Good Ones Green Book Podcast. FYI, we're sisters and co-authors of One of the Good Ones, a young adult novel published by Inkyard Press, an imprint of Harlequin and HarperCollins. When 18-year-old Kezi Smith is killed in police custody under mysterious circumstances after attending a social justice rally, her loved ones are left reeling. To commemorate their history buff sister's life, Happy and Jenny embark on a journey using Kezi's heirloom copy of the Negro Motorist Green Book. We're biased, but one of the good ones will leave you shook and wondering what it truly means to be an ally. We touch on a lot of topics in one of the good ones. Strained sisterly bonds, being Black in America, the importance of speaking up for yourself and others, family legacy, generational trauma. Like I said, a lot. And one of the biggest topics was the Green Book, that little pamphlet Black people used for decades to find safe places to fill up their tanks, lay their heads to sleep, and eat delicious plates of food while they were out on the road. While we never learned about the Negro Motorist Green Book when we were in grade school, we understood its importance immediately as soon as we set out to write one of the good ones. In a time when we are still grappling with many of the same injustices Black people have experienced for centuries in this country, being able to uplift a piece of Black history that made life just a little bit easier for us back then is an honor. Which brings us to this podcast. Maybe you're here because your teacher assigned it, or you're just curious to learn more about the Green Book, or even more likely, you're our mom, dad, grandma, or two younger sisters, Jessica and Lydian, and we're forcing you to listen. Whoever you happen to be, welcome. We are taking you along on a three-part listening trip to learn even more about the Negro Motorist Green Book and its illustrious place in American history. First up, the Green Book. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So let's start with an easy question. What is the Green Book? The Negro Motorist Green Book, which was published from 1936 until 1966, was a guide that told you places that would be welcoming. So you didn't have to guess, you know, is it okay for me to stop here? Is it okay for me to bring my family to this place? You would be able to look a place up in the guide and it would tell you this is going to be a place of welcome where you don't feel humiliated, it won't be dangerous, and that made a huge difference. Dr. Gretchen Soren is the author of Driving While Black, African-American Travel, and the Road to Civil Rights. Dr. Soren's book and research is the basis of the Steeplechase Films documentary, Driving While Black. The Negro Motorist Green Book was not the only guide. There were dozens and dozens of these guides, which suggests how incredibly important they were for African-Americans that so many people decided they were going to try and come up with these travel guides. What did it mean for a Black person to own a car in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s? What I discovered as I was digging into this subject was that there was really very little that addressed how the automobile changed African-American lives. And it was an incredibly profound change. Before the widespread use of the automobile, 
African-Americans were relegated to Jim Crow buses and Jim Crow trolleys and Jim Crow trains. And that meant, first of all, the accommodations were were usually dirty and very unpleasant. But also it was humiliating to have to ride in the back of the bus or in this separate Negro car of a train. People often hurled epithets and and just nasty language at African-Americans. So you can imagine how when African-Americans were able to get their own cars and travel by themselves with their families in these self-contained family units in an automobile, and you didn't have to hear the epithets. You didn't have to sit in the back of the bus. It was really life-changing. I can definitely see the specific value in that. So why was the Green Book itself needed? You can imagine what it was like to take your family out on the road and not know where you could eat, not know where you could stay, not know where you could buy gas. It was a little bit frightening. I you know, interviewed some people, a man from Boston who was just traveling not very far from Boston, who used to get very nervous because he was going out of the road, didn't know where he could get gas, didn't know where he could stop and get a bite to eat. So the story goes that Victor H. Green was sick and tired of being sick and tired. He was exhausted by the disrespect he and his friends and family experienced while traveling across the country. He was potentially inspired by guidebooks created for Jewish travelers who also experienced discrimination on the road. The Green Book became the go-to guide for black travelers and printed over 15,000 copies a year with each new edition published. Do you think we need a green book in the 21st century? Interesting question, isn't it? I think there have been several actual attempts by people to say, you might want to think about coming to this state or traveling to the city or watch out for the police when you're in this place. Like the automobile had a profound effect on African-American life. I think now it's the cell phone. It's the cell phone with the video camera. African-Americans and and other Americans, white Americans as well, have been able to videotape what they've been experiencing or what they see as they're going out on the road. I think these things have been happening all along, but just now there's a record of them. That's a really good question. Is there a need for a green book? I think there is a tremendous need for discussions with the police. And I think we need to find a way in this country to defeat white supremacy. When will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the city. It's an incredibly rich collection and unfortunately very, very relevant still. I was just surprised that it wasn't known. I think the folks at Schomburg also kind of had the same feeling that more people should know about this and, and we should figure out how to make it more visible, which is why we started to do various projects around it. That's Brian Fu. He's a computer scientist and data visualization artist at the American Museum of Natural History. And he's also a 2020 innovator in residence for the Library of Congress. Before that, he worked at the New York Public Library, the home of the biggest collection of green books in the world. They mostly collected the books in real time over the course of the 1930s to the 60s. Brian designed a website with the library's Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture that lets users type in locations and get suggestions of green book spots that are on the way. Bam, 
your own back-in-the-day road trip itinerary. I know, cool, right? Where did the idea for this project come from? I think it was like inspired by something that somebody at the Schomburg wrote about the Green Book. The author prompted readers to, you know, kind of think about the trips you might take or will take and think about how the nature of those trips or the size of the world can change depending on the color of your skin. I think that's something that I wanted to try to translate into just like a very basic experience using this data. From Kay Menick on the New York Public Library's blog in 2015, to flip through a green book is to open a window into history and perhaps to see the tiniest amount through the eyes of someone who lived it. Read these books, map them in your mind. Think about the trips you could take, can take, will take. See how the size of the world can change depending on the color of your skin. So I created this very basic interface that allows you to create a trip itinerary. So you just enter a starting address and a destination address. So say if you're trying to go from like Orlando, Florida to Los Angeles, California, it would try to use a particular green book, in, in this case, a 1947 edition, and try to plot a trip for you. And th there's kind of this basic logic of, you know, you have to stop and eat every so often, you need to stop and have lodging every so often, and tries to find the most efficient route. But, you know, in a lot of cases, it creates very inefficient routes, because in certain editions of the book, there might be gaps, you know, so in the case of going from Orlando to Los Angeles, you'll have to go around Texas, because there, there wasn't really any listings in that area. So you kind of have to make this like really roundabout route, you know, maps and trip planners and, you know, route planning. It's a very familiar language for most people, but when you kind of juxtapose it with this content, it kind of makes you hopefully think more about what the underlying issues are, you know, around why the Green Book was necessary. Can you talk to us about the heat map you made? What does it show? The library identified this collection as obviously very culturally significant, historically significant, and relevant. And it also concluded that there's no known U.S. copyright restrictions on this. So it actually can be used freely without any kind of constraints. So as a case study, like just look at one of the travel guides, in particular one that was published in 1947. We extracted all the text out of it using OCR, optical character recognition, basically kind of taking the text out of, out of images. And then we did the work to identify whether that text had to do with particular addresses of businesses and, and things like that. What were you trying to do with the data you extracted? The first thing that I wanted to do was really just visualize that data. You know, just trying to get a, a very high level view on what's in this particular book. So like, what's the coverage of this particular book geographically? Where are there gaps? Where are there kind of clusters of businesses? You know, not really to conclude anything, but to start to ask questions, you know, like, why is there a lot of businesses in this area, not this area? And you could also start to kind of look at the trends over time. So the, the first thing that I built was this map that allows you to just look at the different businesses on a map and kind of look at where there might be uh, clusters of businesses, where there's gaps, and you could also click on, on individual businesses and go to the original page uh, that it's found on in the digitized books. In 1947, that heat map we mentioned basically has half the continental United States, the east side, lit up with yellows and greens and blues to represent the density of Green Book locations, places that actively said, yes, we are open to and welcome Black patrons. And whoa, 
Generally, outside of California and a few pockets, the more you ventured out west, the more the saturation of colors drops. The fewer locations were listed in the Green Book. The fewer safe havens. We asked Dr. Soren about it. It means that there were fewer African-Americans way out there. And the tourist homes and guest houses tend to be opened by people in their homes. A lot of people, especially women, used opening up a, a tourist home or a guest house as a way to make extra money. You do find that there are lots and lots of boarding houses, you know, a place where you could get a room or two rooms. But there was a no real concentration of African-Americans living out in some of those Western states. And so there was no one there to open up a tourist house or a guest home or a hotel. There were a few places around the country, particularly in the West, that would permit African-Americans to stay, but most did not. I think one of the problems, if you were traveling, say, to one of the national parks, national parks were free to everyone, but the concessions within the parks, the guest houses, the hotels, the cabins were segregated because they were operated by private interests. So it was still segregated when you got out to the national parks and got out to the West. So I see visualize a trip using the green books. Then I click map a trip. Hmm, okay. I can pick 1947 or 1956. Which year should I pick? Let's go with 1947. Enter an address. Ooh, let's go with Chicago, Illinois. It's where one of the good ones begins after all. Now it says, enter a destination address. We're gonna say we're going to Los Angeles, which is where our characters, Happy and Jenny, are going to ultimately end up after their trip. And it's also where they're from. Okay, now let's go through these stops for our road trip and see if any of them are still around. Samson Restaurant in Missouri? Can't find it online. Top Hat Restaurant in Missouri? Can't find that one either. Okay. Speaking of okay. Oklahoma Cafe? In Oklahoma? Kansas. Oh, not around. Max Tavern, also in Kansas? Nope. What about Mrs. Moore's Taurus Home in Colorado? Mm Mm-mm. Vaughn's Tavern in Arizona? No. Okay, Walker's Restaurant in Arizona as well? Nope. Pearl McKinney Lunch in California right near the Mexican border? Oh, nice! Okay, Marble Inn Tavern in California? Mm-mm. Mrs. L. Augusta's Taurus Home in California? No. One of the challenges of trying to extract the data out of the green books is that a lot of these business addresses from, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s, they no longer exist, and the businesses no longer exist. So trying to translate this old geographic information or, or business information into a modern map has its challenges. So, so we had to kind of prioritize what we would most easily be able to translate into kind of a, a modern you know, GPS map. Jenny exits the highway, and we see a sign that says, Welcome to Springfield, Illinois. Soon the car is slowing and we have finally arrived. I look out the window to see a modestly sized motel with all of its windows boarded up. The pale pink paint that once covered the establishment has chipped into a million tiny splinters of neglect. We all pile out of the car and stand in front of the building. A faded sign on what appears to be the front door reads, Miss Ebony's bed and breakfast. Are you sure we've got the right place? Derek asks as he looks up at the building, using his hand to shield the sun from his eyes. That's what Kezi has here on the list, Jimena says, double-checking the journal in her hand. Jenny opens up the small backpack that she brought with her on the trip. 
She rustles around in it and finally pulls out a familiar light green colored paperback, the green book. The pamphlet is filled with oversized sticky notes and Jenny flips to a pink one with a big number one scrawled in the top right hand corner. My heart flutters at the sight of Kezi's handwriting and I feel my throat close up. What happened to all these green book locations? I was interviewed by a television station in Albany, New York, and they asked me about some of the green book sites. And we, we looked in the green book and I had never even heard of the, of some of the streets. And I thought, I wonder what this is about. Well, it turns out the streets don't even exist anymore. They were part of Governor Rockefeller's urban renewal project to put in the Empire State Plaza. So entire blocks are gone. Like you said, many of these places are completely gone. So what can we do to restore or at least protect the ones that are still standing? There are some places that are being preserved. And I think one of the things that has to happen in historic preservation is that the guidelines need to change because many of these places are not architecturally significant, but they are historically significant. A lot of the guidelines for historic preservation address issues of architectural significance. But there are a lot of other reasons for buildings and places to be significant. What would you like people to know about the Green Book and its impact? Like, why should people today and in the future care about its existence? The Negro Motorist Green Book was produced by Victor Green, but also by Alma Green, who was his wife. And she was heavily involved in the business. And when he steps aside in the late 1950s, I think because he was ill, and Alma takes over, and she and four women published the Negro Motorist Green Book. So I think that's very significant because women in the 1950s generally did not. That was very unusual. And Dr. Soren had this to add as well. I think the existence of the Negro Motorist Green Book is really significant because it speaks to the resilience of African Americans who really found ways around segregation. They wanted to go on vacation. They wanted to educate their children. They wanted to take their children to monuments and museums. And they found ways of doing that despite the way that they were treated, despite the systemic racism of the society. And we, we certainly don't want to celebrate segregation or the fact that there had to be separate tourist homes and separate hotels and separate restaurants and separate guest houses. But I, I think it really does speak to the courage that African-Americans had to go out on the road in the face of the danger and the resilience that they had to find ways to cope with segregation in, in very positive ways. Now, would you look at that? We've reached the end of episode one. We hope you have a clearer understanding of what the Negro Motorist Green Book was and its significance in our history. Join us for our next episode where we'll be looking more closely at where folks were going when they were using the Green Book. You could be killed. You could be lynched. You could be beaten up. These were very dangerous places to be.